Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to the third class in the series called They Spoke So Effectively, from Acts chapter 14, verse 1. And in this three-part series, which we've been going doing for the Thames Valley Churches of Christ, we've, we've been looking at three issues, three foundational issues to do with speaking in a congregational context. Firstly, why do we speak? What's even the purpose of speaking to a congregation? Secondly, how do we choose what to speak about? How do we go about deciding what it is to lay before any particular congregation at any particular point in time? And thirdly, this week, we're looking at how to speak, how to deliver what God has now laid on your heart and you've prepared and you're now ready, ready to communicate, but how do you do it most effectively? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So this is the third of those classes. It also functions as this week's Tuesday teaching tip which is episode number 180. Lots more teaching tips for you uh, speakers out there, whether you're experienced or not. If you want some ideas, hopefully some stimulating ideas for your speaking or some tips on how to do well with it, then check out my playlist on my YouTube channel on Tuesday Teaching Tips. Now tonight, how to speak. Now before we began, this, this is a summary class of what we did on Friday Just Gone and the setting doesn't lend itself to uh, an audio or video recording. So I've taken some thoughts from that, combined it with my notes, and this is the summary class. And before I began the class, the first thing I did is ask anybody, if anybody had developed their own template for lesson preparation. And uh, Jean was kind enough to share with us a version of a, she's a professional teacher, a teaching template for lesson planning that she used to prepare a, a class, like for church. And she, very helpfully, and thank you, Jean, for doing this, is going to edit that template for a church context and send it to me. And I'll put the PDF up on my website and the Thames Valley website so that we can access that. So thanks, Jean, for doing that. And if any of you develop your own template, please let me know. I'd love to put it up there because different templates work for different people and for different contexts. So the more that we have, the better. So that's what we did from last week. And now I began, I began the class on Friday with the question, what are the most challenging aspects of presentation? When you personally have an opportunity to talk to a congregation, what do you find the most challenging aspect of the practical side of it? And here are a few things that people said. Somebody said simply the nerves. Somebody else said, the challenge of being confident that what I'm thinking, I will be able to deliver clearly so that people will understand what I'm thinking and, and get that across well. Somebody else said, not losing my thread as I'm talking, losing my way and losing my point. Somebody else said, simply connecting, connecting with the group. Sometimes we've got a great lesson planned, we've got good material, but we still need to connect well. And that's quite a challenge at times. Somebody else said language, using the right words, especially if English isn't your first language. Somebody else mentioned the challenge of speaking through a translator. Somebody said volume. You know, when you, when you start out public speaking, for a lot of us, we're not using a PA and our natural volume is a conversational volume. And it's not enough when you're speaking to 20, 50 or 100 people and learning how to adjust your volume without losing that naturalness of conversation quite a challenge. And a few people shared other things. We all have our challenges. What I've broken, I've broken today's class down into two main areas of challenge that will help us to present well. And the first is personal issues and the second is practical issues. 
the kind of over there is overlap, but nonetheless. So first of all, personal issues. Let's have a look here at Exodus in chapter four and in verse and see what happens here between uh, Moses and God. Picking it up in verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf and mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So we see that Moses is nervous about being God's spokesman. So there's nothing new about that. You and I are in the same tradition as Moses. We have the same situation. It's a natural human thing to feel nervous, but God says, I'm going to teach you what to say. I'm going to be with you as you go. I am sending you. We are people of uh, followers of Jesus Christ who, because we're followers, have been sent to speak to other people in some way or other. And so we can take heart from the situation there with Moses. And then there's also Acts 18. Let me just turn over there. In Acts 18, so you might be feeling nervous, but bear this in mind. Acts 18 and verse 9 and 10. One night, one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. And why? For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Now, granted, that's a specific promise to Paul in a specific situation, and that doesn't directly apply to us. But the indirect application is there, that when we go for God, surely God is with us because he is with his word. And so we can be confident that God is with us. One of the stories I told in the class on Friday is about me and my singing teacher, which I've shared at other places as well. And I was a, I was a music student and I had a, music, a singing teacher and I went for a lesson one week and my singing teacher asked me whether I felt nervous about an upcoming concert I was going to perform. And I was very nervous and I told her, I'm terribly nervous, it's awful, it's terrible how nervous I am. And I expected her to empathize and sympathize and perhaps tell me not to be nervous, but instead she did not. She said, she said oh good. I said, well, what do you mean good? It's not good I'm this nervous. She said, no, it's good you're nervous because it indicates that you understand the significance of what you're about to do. If you weren't nervous, I'd be, ups I'd be worried. You shouldn't be anxious and worried that you're nervous. You should just acknowledge it. I said, well, how do I deal with it? And she said, well, what you have to do is make your nerves work for you, not against you. In other words, to, as she put it, to sharpen your performance. Now, as speakers to a congregation, we're not trying to put on a performance, but there is something about this sense of being nervous that can be turned to our advantage in the sense that instead of saying, I'm nervous, we could say, I'm excited. I'm excited about this opportunity. And this excitement will help, in a sense, sharpen my performance because it will help me focus. It'll help me focus and bring energy to what I'm about to say, and it can be helpful rather than detrimental. Now, if you are a very nervous person, you can get some other help with that. But what I would like to say for the moment is, number one, God is with you. 
and number two, turn it, you can turn it into a sense of excitement instead. There's a third scripture also I'd like to look at, and that's in Isaiah chapter 6, and this is in connection with another personal issue as well as perhaps being nervous, which is the sense of being unworthy. You get up there and you think, I'm, I'm not worthy to be here. Well, have a look here in Isaiah chapter 6, and we'll pick it up in, uh, in verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What a beautiful image. And then, and then what happens? The voice of the Lord, he hears saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Do you see how, how Isaiah's perspective changes from, I'm unworthy, I can't be here, I've seen the Lord, this is, this is a disaster, this is terrible, to, oh, okay, I'm ready, I'll go. And what changes is his encounter with God, the, the assurance that his, his guilt is dealt with and his sins are dealt with. And we're Christians. We have the blood of Jesus continually forgiving us for our sins. We are unworthy. We are amongst people who are unworthy. I mean, that's just true. But if you weren't unworthy, you really wouldn't be able to speak to a group of fellow unworthies because the connection between you and your congregation is one of a peer. You're not standing in judgment on them. You're not saying you're superior to them. You're just saying, I'm a servant of God's word. Perhaps I, unworthy person though I am, can bring something from this amazing book that will bless us all. Let's hear the voice of God. So if you're feeling unworthy, that is no barrier to speaking. If you're feeling nervous, that is no necessary barrier to speaking. Instead, they can be useful ways of helping us to depend upon God because it's for Him we are speaking. So those are the personal issues. Now some practical thoughts and let's go on to the second part here. So having dealt with the personal issues, now let's talk about a few practical things. And again, I'm only really touching the surface here. I have other recordings on the, uh, these issues in more detail, but let's just talk about some basics today. First of all, voice. What's important about the basics of the way you use your voice when you're speaking to a congregation? Well, it, part of it is variety. Variety really matters. If you're talking at one speed, at one pitch, and one volume for 20 minutes, you should not be surprised if people drift, if not fall asleep, at least uh, you, you lose that connection and that sense of vitality. So varying volume, louder and quieter at appropriate points, varying the speed at which you speak. It's okay to speak a bit faster and a bit slower. Varying the speed, using pauses. A pause, generally, if it's going to be effective, probably needs to be at least two or three seconds long. A little pause of half a second sounds a lot in a personal conversation, but in a bigger group, you don't notice it. It's something about the size of the group and the way sound and visual images travel somehow. If you're going to pause, make it a meaningful pause of a second or two or even three. Pausing, varying speed, varying volume, very important in the way you use your voice. Clarity of diction. 
using your D's and T's and P's and B's and not rushing and, and, and garbling your words. Diction matters. Again, there's something about the way that when you're large, in a large room with a large group of people, it's, it's somehow harder to hear what someone's saying when they're further away. And I don't understand the physics of it. Some brilliant physicist out there or sound engineer can probably tell me why, but it makes a big difference if we pronounce our D's and T's and so on uh, more, more, with more clarity when you're speaking to a group. Clarity of diction. We could say a lot more about appropriateness of clothing, um, how we move, about the position where we might stand in front of people or sit in, uh, with people, and posture, the way we carry ourselves. A lot more to say, not enough time for that today. That'll have to be for another class, although I do have some other recordings on that. So that's firstly voice. Secondly, the use of notes. Lots of different theories and opinions about the use of notes. I will just say a few things about the use of notes. Um, is it your goal to not use notes? I would say it might be your ultimate goal to not need notes, but you might still have them with you. So notes, I, I would say this, the, in the early days of speaking, when you're not very experienced, have more notes with more detail. As you go on, you may find yourself needing less notes, shorter notes, or just bullet points, or even very little at all. But that has to come with experience. Don't start with a blank piece of paper. You might end there, but that's not where you start. If you are using notes, print the, print the words large enough to be able to read them without putting on your reading glasses, like I sometimes have to. Um, but you shouldn't need that for your notes that you printed out because you can print them in a large enough font. So print them in whatever you need, 14 or 16 or 18, so that you don't need to put these on and take them off. It's a bit distracting and can be a bit of a barrier. If you have to, I understand that, but if you can print it, much better, large enough to read. If you're using an iPad, where's my iPad? Let me just get it over here. I often, uh, and this is another point I would suggest is, you wanna have what they call belt and braces. In other words, uh, backup. So what I tend to do is I'll have my notes on my iPad here and I'll have them printed out. Which one I use on the day varies according to the context, but if my iPad runs out of battery or some, some reason breaks, then I still have my, my notes here. I would suggest you have both if you can. If you are using something like an iPad, I would suggest an iPad, not a phone. If you're using the phone, the problem with the phone is this, and I'm not gonna say like you have to, we have to ban the phone as, as a use for notes, but the thing is it's small the screen is not large. You can't get a lot of text on that screen. And so what tends to happen is, I'm demonstrating this on the video. If you're watching the podcast, you'll have to use your imagination. But what tends to happen is we, we look at the phone and either we, we push our hand down to look at the phone, which means we've lost eye contact and connection with the congregation. So we're way down here. Or we bring the phone up here very close to our face and we have to squint at it. And, uh, and we're losing this connection between the people we're speaking to and the device we're using. That tends to happen less with an iPad because it's a bigger screen or some other kind of tablet. That's, that helps with that. Uh, notes, similarly, I would suggest if you are gonna use notes, don't have them weighed out like three feet below you because then you have to either bend your head down or, or squint down. Have them a little higher and do your best to glance at them and look up rather than read from them and then look back up. It's a, it's a learning curve and it develops over time, but those would be my suggestions regarding notes.
Impact. Let's finish this section. Oh no, two more bits actually. Two, uh, impact next. How to make sure, as best you can, that what you're going to say has its impact. You use your voice well, you've got great points, you've got good material, you, you're using your notes well. But that doesn't guarantee that your lesson will have impact. Some things that make a big difference regarding impact is, first of all, personal sharing. There's something about personal sharing which is very, very helpful, indicating that you and I, we're the same. Uh, me and the congregation I'm speaking to, there's no real difference between us, we're just normal people. Here's a story from my own life. Personal stories, and especially self-deprecating ones. I did a whole episode on that not long ago, you can look that up. Self-deprecating humour, where you, where you tell a story that indicates that you're an ordinary person like everybody else. It's usually humorous, it usually tells us it's a story against yourself. I would caution one thing, there's a difference between self-deprecating stories and self-flagellating stories. You're not there to beat yourself up in public. If you do that, instead of people getting the point of your story and finding it helpful, they'll instead feel sorry for you. Oh dear, you poor thing. That's not the point. You're not trying to draw attention to yourself. You're trying to use a personal story to illustrate a point that other people can relate to and interpret for their own situation in life. Personal stories. Oh, and by the way, with that, it's important to share how you felt. Not just this happened, this happened, this happened, but this happened and I felt like that. This happened and I felt like that. And in the end, this happened and I felt like that. Feelings make stories real. Stories. Secondly, audio-visual things. Audio-visual. Video, slides, pictures, uh, audio, that kind of thing. Very helpful. I'm a fan of it in its, uh, in its good use. There are, of course, challenges. There are technical issues. Sometimes things go wrong even with the best of intentions, so therefore prepare well and practice. But also, the general rule with audio-visual is less is more. Less is more. If you've got a 20-minute talk and you've got 40 slides, you're in trouble. Your audience will be confused. So much information going past them visually so rapidly, they don't know what to focus on. A 20-minute talk, I'm not going to say there's an ideal number of slides, but you probably don't want more than a dozen, maybe even not more than eight. So don't have too many pictures, don't have too much audio-visual, especially with video. 30 seconds is probably about ideal. If you go for two or three minutes, and there are times to do that, the problem is that people get sucked into it. There's something about the audio-visual that draws people into it, and it's quite hard to get back out of it and then listen to what you have to say. So short video clips, short audio clips, not too many slides and not too many pictures, but use it if you can. Titles. Let's say a word about titles under impact. I'll suggest where at all possible your lesson title and your subpoints have a verb in them. Something's happening or is going to happen as a result of what you're talking about or you're reflecting on the text. What's going on in that parable? What's actually happening? There's, a, there's seeking going on, there's finding going on, there's repenting going on, there's, there's believing going on. These are all things that we do. This can be particularly helpful in lessons that we, we teach, is use a verb, and also to get God in there. Don't forget God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father. It, uh, this is a tip I heard uh, Rick Warren uh, mentioned many years ago, I heard. And I thought it's very helpful. I try to do this with my lessons. Rather than the door closed, how about God closed the door, or God closes the door? Rather than God opened the door, or rather than, than the door opened, God opens doors. 
it does a couple of things. Firstly, it reminds us what we're really talking about. It is about God, not about me and you. And it also helps the congregation to realize that this is about God, about Jesus, about the Father, about the Spirit. Try and get God, Father, Son, Spirit into your titles if you can. And if you can't, then ask yourself whether your lesson has the right focus. Because if God isn't in your title and isn't in your titles or your subpoints, then is he really in the lesson? Just an interesting thing to think about. Final thoughts on the practicals, in a sense. God focus, and in particular, Jesus focus. Uh, again, it's uh, an encouragement that if you do a, a lesson that's on a topic, on a doctrine, on a practical aspect of, of Christian life or, or how we do things, like if it was about communion or if it was about Jacob or if it was about grace, it's really important to bring the lesson back to Jesus, at least at the end. Hopefully Jesus has been part of the whole lesson, but especially at the end, we are Christ followers and everything we do, everything we, we want to try and promote and talk about is because of Jesus and through Jesus. And if we do a whole lesson, even Old Testament, if we do a whole lesson without talking about Jesus, I think we're missing something. I'm not, not trying to say that every lesson must be all about Jesus all the time and don't shoehorn Jesus into your lessons. But on the other hand, if it doesn't have a connection with Jesus, how much value does that lesson have? So bring it back like you're kind of funneling things down to Jesus, to that point there, so that when I go away, I'm thinking about the application of what I've just heard in terms of my faith as a Christ follower, Christ follower, not just a church member or person of faith, but a follower of Jesus Christ. Some thoughts there. Well, I think that just about wraps up the contents of the class from Friday where we looked at some personal and some practical issues to do with being effective in the way that we deliver the class that we now have ready or the, uh, the, the welcome we have ready, the communion talk we have ready to, to deliver. I would really like to know your responses and thoughts on this. I did get some feedback on Friday, which was very helpful, some suggestions for future classes, and I'd like to know what, what you think about that. So if you've got some ideas, please let me know. I will be doing some more classes like these Friday classes next year. I'll be posting online every Tuesday, some Tuesday teaching tips, amongst other things, so do let me know what you think. If you've got a comment, please leave it in the comment box, leave it where we can all see it and read it so that we can learn from each other because we learn best when we're learning in community. If you know anybody who might benefit from this class, then please click the link, copy it, send it on some way or other. And, uh, and if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the channel. Um, hit that notification button so you'll know when new episodes uh, go online. And if you're watching the Thames Valley YouTube channel, please subscribe there. If you're watching mine, please subscribe there. If you want to check out more details of what I have to offer on my website, look at malcolmcox.org. You can send me an email, malcolm at malcolmcox.org. You can sign up for my newsletter on my website. And don't forget to keep checking the Thames Valley website for the latest news and the classes that are coming up in the near future. Thanks so much for watching us. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for your willingness to participate. At the end of the class on Friday, I asked everybody there if they wouldn't mind to sign up for, to do something. I've written their names down. Thank you to Michael and Johan and Kevin and Anna and all the people who signed up here to say they were willing to do a lesson, a testimony, a welcome, a talk about hope and the need union and other things were suggested here. Uh, anything someone wrote, they have to do anything. Oh, there's Gene. Thanks again, Gene. If you would like to do something, let me know and let me see where I can slot you in to speak in the Watford Church of Christ or the Thames Valley Churches of Christ. Thanks a lot, take care, and God bless you. Mm -hmm.